Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast. I'm Amanda Copeless, and I'm the executive director for the Central Florida-based law firm of Sheffield, Lowman, and Wilson. This week's guest is my all-time favorite attorney, and I'm not just saying that because he's my boss. Bill Lohman is our firm's founding and managing partner. On this episode, we talk about the ups and downs of starting and managing a law firm and what it takes to make that firm successful. And I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase. I spend a lot of time talking with lawyers and I learn something new every time. This week's guest is no exception. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, Centerbase, billing and accounting software for law firms. Now let's get started. Mr. Lohman, thank you so much for joining us today. Good afternoon. Thank you. You are the founding and managing partner of Sheffield, Lohman & Wilson, a 50-attorney firm that serves Central Florida. You practice in all the smart areas, corporate, M&A, taxation, charitable trust. I'm sure I'm missing a ton of them. You can fill Maybe them seven in. seven of them, but that's okay. Keep going. They- and bill's also the smartest person i know i always have to go into his office with my cell phone and that's not because i'm checking it it's mostly because it's a calculator and it's literally the only way i'm ever going to keep up with the math is if i don't have a calculator in my hands at all times although bill will tell you as long as the numbers don't end in five he's a lot more comfortable doing advanced math 100 (laughs) percent. yeah he says amanda round up I don't like fives. I'm like, you You can still do the math. It's fine. You have a law degree from the University of Miami. You're a little bit of a fan of Miami. Is that is that M? Is that the U-M? Throwing up the U. That's the U. It's not Washington. It's Miami. The U. But aren't there a lot of colleges that start with a U? Or is that like a... Well, there's a lot of schools that start with university, but we are the U. <laughs> All right. So, Rob, you got a question for Mr. Lohman to get us started? I do. I've had the pleasure of knowing you both, you know, for a few years now, and I'd love just to dive into the dynamics of an executive director and a managing partner. How do you guys work together? So my theory is that we spent three years in law school to be lawyers. If you've ever listened to a podcast of law, the last thing they do is teach you business right? They teach you the theory, the academics. They like English major, majors, which is a running joke between a man and I, because <laughs> an English major. But, but, I but wasn't they, an English major. Okay. I, it, was was worse. Major. it was way worse. <laughs> <laughs> but, but honestly, they, they teach you in law school to be a lawyer. They don't teach you to be a business person. So, you know, we're, we spend all these years learning how to be a lawyer. Let's all be good lawyers. Let's do the best we can in our own field. We don't need to be day-to-day involved in the running of a law firm. And that's why we hire somebody like Amanda to operate the firm on a day-to-day basis so we can do what we're good at. So that's my theory. I think lawyers should stay out of running a law firm on a day-to-day basis until the executive director makes a mistake, then we get back involved. But of course, that rarely <laughs> happens here. So. Oh, rarely, rarely. Yeah. Well, the trick is you just hide the mistakes. And so then they don't know how many you make. And it's job security. It's yes. the best way ever. So Until they Bill, all come out once, no kidding. So they all come out at once. <laughs> Usually like in December when Bill starts looking at the numbers. Amanda, this number doesn't make any sense. He can look at, Rob, I'm no lie. He can look at an Excel spreadsheet I have spent hours working on. And he can look at the printed version of it and know I have a formula off somewhere. And I'm just like, he blows mine and Stephanie's mine. He's shaking his head. No, but he really does this to us. You're you sure amazing. that looks right? It's the general office expense for three years ago. I, I don't think that formula is correct. Tell me I'm wrong. It happens all the time. No, it's a weird gift I have. It's maybe a curse. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it. But uh, 
it, and it's funny, my whole firm had, we had tons and tons of committees. So when we started the firm, I got rid of committees too. We don't need <laughs> committees, right? We, we want to streamline and be lawyers. So pull quote, get rid of committees. Got it. That's the key to the success. So Bill, one of the things that Rob and I were talking about before this is you were a young attorney-ish when you started this firm. You were nine years out of law school. What made you want to go and start a firm? It was Charlie Shuffield that came to myself and Lynn Wilson. And um, the prior firm we were at was a lot of great people, but it was a very diverse firm. So we had workers' comp lawyers, insurance defense, corporate business. And we looked at the landscape of Central Florida, and there was no law firm that was really focused on the Central Florida business and the Central Florida family. They were focused on real estate or they were focused on litigation and other things. So we wanted to be a little unique. We also wanted to grow and build. And so just just a little different uh, model. And Charlie came to me and said, Bill, do you want to start a firm? I said, Charlie, I'm going to do whatever you want to do. You're my mentor. And uh, so off we went. So little did I know the first day that I showed up and Charlie's like, okay, you're managing partner. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? I'm 32. I have no idea. How did you learn to be a managing partner then? Uh, A lot of mistakes. Yeah. You know, it was very hard in the first four years because we were probably the fastest growing law firm ever in Central Florida. We grew from three of us to probably 30 lawyers within three years. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, we, we take chances. We're trying to keep up with the demands of the clients. You know, you, you, you sometimes are growing that fast. It's harder to maintain culture. Right. And so you end up with a little different group than you ever thought you would. And then the recession from 2008 allowed you kind of step back and reflect on, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? How are we going to do it differently? It was kind of a reset. Right. But yeah, we grew, we grew fast. We, we, we made a lot of decisions very quickly. If a young attorney were to come to you today and say, hey, I'm thinking about starting my own firm, what are the mistakes you made? How would you answer? So I had Charlie Shuffield, right? So Charlie's right. a seasoned lawyer in this town. He was the first tax lawyer in Orlando. Uh, he was one of the most well-known lawyers. So I had it easy, actually. Right? I had he, he put capital into the firm. And he, you know, our first hire was a marketing director. Mm-hmm. The very first. Oh God, please don't. Oh, Rob loves to hear that stuff. We did. Yeah. And then the second thing we did was we rented 17,000 square feet. When that was <laughs> wow. <laughs> With Luckily, I didn't have to guarantee that lease. So I was like, Charlie, well, we, we rented, yeah, we rented 17,000 with an option on five or we rented 13,000, an option on four or something like that. But it was all faith in Charlie. So I don't know how as a young lawyer, to not have gone through everything that a lawyer does. You know, it's hard enough to to learn your practice, learn your craft, learn how to manage clients, learn how to work with clients, learn how to originate clients and to start a firm at the same time. I, I don't know how some of the young lawyers do that because you're really serving two roles, right? You're, you're separately right. running a law firm while you're also trying to be a lawyer. So just, you know, take your time, maybe not try to do it yourself, maybe try to get a group of people so you can, um, kind of mix the bring in different people to help pay for the administrative costs. It's just too easy as a young lawyer to, to make mistakes from trust accounting rules to, you know, to, to get in the right people in there. Then you're, then you're doing a lot of things that you shouldn't be doing. I don't know how young lawyers do it, but, but uh, when they don't have somebody else. So what I'm hearing from you is bring in a money person. 
early on that understands the rules. If you're not of a money a person, firm. bring in a money person. Not, not right. a money person, a somebody that is as well known, you know, a mentor that right. understands the profession, has been around in the community. That makes a huge difference. So well, you've joked to me before that the one thing you and Charlie had in common is you hated doing your bills and you hated entering time. Yeah, I think my old firm made bets that we would not survive because both of us hated doing time and building. If anything, that taught me that I had to get those things done because there couldn't be mm-hmm. two of us not doing billing in time. So, because I was awful before that. So I, I fixed it. I had no choice. You learn that, that was a mistake. I should have never been as bad as I was in my last firm. So, so you mentioned, Bill, that you guys rented, you know, you, you leased 17,000 square feet. I thought we set the record. We, we rented about 10 for five of us early on at center base. Did you guys always picture yourself as a mid-sized firm? And if so, were there a reason that you wanted to grow to that size, the pros and cons of being a mid-sized firm? To me, to adequately service our typical client, which is a mm-hmm. central Florida business, sometimes multi-generational uh, or multiple owners, and you have their families involved, whether it's small, a small company or a company that's going to grow over time, you can't provide all the legal work that they need without depth, right? And mm-hmm. you can't adequately service a client unless you have multiple people, multiple lawyers and paralegals and legal assistants all working together to service that client. So I think to me, it's almost too difficult to do that and do it well. And the the model of law firms in general of kind of everybody kind of doing their own work and keeping their own clients makes it difficult to succeed, right? But that's kind of how law firms are are structured. So we knew from the beginning to be who we wanted to be, which is to service all of these central Florida businesses and families, we had to have that. So, you know, it's it was the right way to do it. And it was just a matter of finding the right people to fill those in. So so we always knew we'd be a mid sized firm. I think we also mm-hmm. always knew we'd never be a large firm because we always knew that if you grew too much where you went to other, you know, cities, the firm would change, right? Mm-hmm. When you can get everybody together, you know, and, and kind of kind of know each other, that's one thing. Once you go to South Florida, Jacksonville, or Tampa, you start creating more of a distant culture, things, things change. So we that's what we wanted to be. We kind of, uh, in our first business plan, kind of had that idea, kind of a hub and spoke system to serve everything within an hour and a half of downtown Orlando. And that's what we wanted to be. And I think we've, you know, we got there. We could grow a little bit more. But if we're going to grow beyond that, I'm going to retire. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I thought we had an agreement that we were going to retire together. Well, You're going to wait. When you open South Florida, <laughs> if you want me to retire, just go open South Florida. I'll go down <laughs> to South Florida. I may not come back. <laughs> Bill loves the Keys. That's his, that's his place. He taught me the first, I don't know, first couple of weeks I was here, he told me one of his favorite pastimes is to go to get lobster out of the ocean. And I said to him, you go fishing for lobster? And he was like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I'm not, it's not fishing. It's lobstering. And so I, this is a brand new word. I'm from Texas. We hunt deer. Like we don't pull food out of the Gulf of Mexico to eat it if we can at all help it in the Texas side. Right, Rob? Uh, Yes. But then he taught me about the tickle stick and the box and the swishing them in. No, no, not the box. The box is illegal. (laughs) Don't say anything about the box. It's a net in a tickle stick. <laughs> the box is illegal. God, it would never use the box. I a commercial license. Not yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> but then you also told me you can hold your breath for like an obscene, crazy amount of time. 
Yeah, that that was that's uh, a little harder now. I'm in my fifties. I have to admit, I go down there and like I, I don't have the breath that I used to. So, but it was minutes before, right? When I was younger, yes. I, I you get that burst of energy when you're underwater, ten feet, and the lobster takes off, and you just take off after that lobster, <laughs> and you'll just keep going until you can get them. But you know, as you get older, it gets a little harder. So now I have the kids do it. I just stand up there. You go there, get the lobster. <laughs> The boat. <laughs> Don't you like you bring a whole bunch of people on the boat so you can hit your limit, right? Yes, that's what yes. it is. Lobstering is is so much about teamwork. It's amazing how you got one person that goes into the hole. Everybody else has to be around. You have to work together. They go out different angles. You got to be watching. You know, one person will go down. The other one runs out of breath, goes back up. And, and if you don't work as a team, you end up losing the lobster. So, so that's how you you train your kids to help you lobstering. Yes. Now they do it and I just watch. (laughs) (laughs) One question I want to ask you, you know, you're talking about family, you're talking about spending time outside the office. You know, a lot of people, myself included, you know, I'm, I'm 34. I struggle with balance. You know, you grew up an amazing firm. How did you over the years and how do you continue to find that balance and set those boundaries so that you can spend time with your family or spend time outside the office? You know, I don't know that I'm the best example of that in some ways. And in other ways, I'm a great example of it. So my family would tell you that I work 363 days a year, which I do. I take off Christmas and Easter. Uh, other than that, I work, you know, all, all the rest of the year. I can so, attest that that is true. Yeah. So <laughs> I work every Saturday, and every Sunday, but, but I try to work very efficiently, maybe sometimes too efficiently, but, but so I, I try to maximize the work time and then the personal time. And so I, I, I take a lot of trips, but I always have my mm-hmm. phone and my laptop with me. So for example, I've done conference calls from every four, all four of the Disney parks. I have <laughs> nice. spots to know in all four Disney parks where I can do a conference call. So that's a perfect example. And the family knows that I may at any point have to walk away and handle something. I'll never forget. I was in DC. I was on my son's, my wife knows I was telling the story. She'd not be happy, but I was on my uh, uh, son's DC field trip, right? And so, uh-huh. um, and we go with their school and I was with another lawyer here in town that, that, you know, we were close to a different firm. And so we were outside one of the museums and we had all sat down, we're waiting on people. And I was at the very end, like three feet from everybody, but he took a picture and it looked like there was nobody else around me. <laughs> he puts it in the parent group, where is Bill? And so <laughs> then I get a text from Susie, hey, you got to stay with the group. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so then for the next two days, we spent time everywhere we went taking pictures of me off doing my own stuff on my phone, returning emails and texts. And uh, then the, we got the chaperone in to email my wife to say, we really need to have a parent conference. This oh is not the, the way that we would expect our parents to be chaperoning kids going to D.C. And so... I got in a little trouble for that one, but it was fine. And I did return some emails while I was on that trip. So, Rob, I've told you before, when we talk about Family Man, he also showed me a video once of him dancing because he took dance lessons with his daughter and to The Greatest Showman or you were tap dancing or something. I was. That's- I, I, I was a very short one and a half minute dance. But yeah, I danced in her, her production. The Greatest but I was told... Don't schedule anything for Bill from Wednesdays from six to seven for the next twelve weeks because that's how long it's going to take him to learn a minute and a half dance. <laughs> <laughs> it would take me longer. Yeah. 
But the best thing about it, Rob, is that when you're a yeah. dad, it doesn't matter yeah. what you do up there, right? And, and the, right. we're like 15 moms and three dads. We couldn't get any other dads to do it. And the moms the whole time, they're always so stressed. They're trying to get everything perfect. As dads, it doesn't matter. Like, we're just out there. It's for having fun. We miss a couple steps. As long as I don't run anybody over, it's all good. <laughs> it, Robert, you know, you going to dance someday? With your daughter. Well, I was going to say, you know, am I going to admit this or not? But I am like against, I'm tall, I'm awkward, and I'm totally against dancing for the most part. Like my wife can't get me to dance ever, not even at the at our house. But I have four, uh, I have five-year-old twins and my daughter loves music. And so we'll find her next to Alexa in the kitchen dancing by herself. And lately she's been pulling me in and all of a sudden I'm in there dancing, oh. right? Never would have done it before, but... There's something about, you know, having a little girl when you're a father that just makes you, you know, do whatever they want. I'm going to bribe Michelle for a video of that. Oh, she doesn't see it. Okay. (laughs) You don't even let your wife see you dancing? No, 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 no. So, Bill, this has come up a a few times throughout the season, or maybe just once. But Amanda mentioned that she's been in Florida for almost four years now, Mm -hmm. and you've been to Disney once. Once. So how often do you go? Every month? I think that's, it's probably more often than that. Probably once a month. Maybe every yeah. every other month we go. So, wow. yeah. What's your favorite park and or ride? My favorite park is probably, it's either Epcot or Hollywood Studios. Although the kids think it's Animal Kingdom. But, but uh, <laughs> you know, we like to relax around the countries um, in, in Epcot. So. For those listening, he did air quotes around the word relax. Yes. <laughs> but we like Hollywood Studios because of Rock and Roller Coaster and then the whole Star Wars Pavilion is awesome too. So my favorite ride probably historically has probably been Rock and Roller Coaster, but the Guardians of the Galaxy, I, I, I've been on it now and it is amazing. It's a little intense. I have to go on it again because the, the, we went on it. I was I got off that ride. I had to sit down for a while. So it was, Is it, it like was motion awesome. sickness or... Just the, I mean, the, the technology they use in that ride is nothing that I've ever seen at Disney because you're moving during the roller coaster. So the okay. roller coaster is moving around. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. So You're also a huge Marvel fan, like crazy big Marvel fan. So the question is, what is your favorite Marvel movie? Or should we at least say last five years? Because all time is a hard one. My favorite Marvel movie, uh, I probably like all the originals, like the original Iron Man was awesome. Uh, the original Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, the first Doctor Strange was awesome. So, you know, the, the, the first ones they kind of do that each series, I think are the best. Which one's the best overall? I have to think about that. And right now I'm watching She-Hulk. Is that the one about lawyer? She's a lawyer or something, right? Yeah, she's a lawyer. In the whole- right now I'm watching She-Hulk, House of Dragons. <laughs> Cobra Kai, the newest season that came oh, out. Oh, I love that. The Lord of the Rings, one that's coming out. You got to watch that too. But I rewatched all Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits before that. So, and there's one more. You must not sleep if you he work doesn't. as much as you do and, and you watch all these series. No, I get, I sleep. I, I work and watch at the same time. Oh, nice. The kids nice, are nice. funny. They always make fun of me. They'll, I'll watch something and then they'll quiz me. Right. And they're like, Dad, you can't remember the name of anybody because you were too busy working. So, this is also why I never get responses to my emails because he's watching all five Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time. 
<laughs> at the same time. Or we always joke that anytime you want to get an email from Bill, it's kind of this like crystal ball about what he actually meant because he's using talk to text. And so I can't uh, even tell you the number of times I walk into Stephanie's office. She's our controller. And I'll show a text and, to her and say, if you were me, what would you think Bill meant when he said this? And we'll sit there and puzzle over it and puzzle over it. And we might ask some other people. And at the end of the day, we should have just responded and said, Bill, what do you actually mean here? But um, it that's I thought that was just me. And then I talked to his partners or associates who work for him. And it, everybody is like, ah, you're, you're thinking too fast for the rest of us. Right? <laughs> Let's go back a little bit. We talked about the size, the mid-sized firm. And over the course of the show, we have talked a lot about the pros and cons of a small firm versus a big firm and how mid-sized firms just fit into this really unique space because we compete against large-sized firms for talent and we can usually beat small firms on having the the you know the depth of the bench like you were talking about. What are some other challenges you see based on the size of the firm we are? Honestly, the biggest challenge is the effect of COVID. So I think before COVID, the whole remote work concept was foreign to a lot of lawyers other than me, but, but it was foreign (laughs) to a lot of, a lot of lawyers. And, you know, the idea that you could sit home and be productive and some still struggle, but some don't, but, you know, people learn, they learn to, to be productive at home. We still have that challenge of, making sure everybody's still focused on the, you know, the bigger goal, you know, when, when they're not at the office, but the now greater challenge than ever for mid-sized firms is that every law firm in the country can think about every lawyer in Orlando now as a potential hire. Right. Right. So it's going to, it's going to create this gap in the next 20 years between the lawyers that kind of manage all the clients and their expectations and the lawyers that are now this this younger generation doing the work that are not going to have the client contact that that is really important depending on what practice you're in it's more important in some than others but that's going to be the biggest challenge for mid-sized firms really anywhere that you now have this whole other set of law firms competing for talent right so it's even harder now to say well we have better work-life balance when they can come and say, we have the ultimate work-life mount, you know, work in your home in your underwear, right? <laughs> we don't care what you get your work done. So, you know, so, so right, Rob, how do you, how are we now going to compete with that? That's changed the whole dynamics. You know, you've got recruiters calling everybody every day, you know, emails and all that. And so now they're no longer geographically limited. So I don't know what that's going to do to. That's uh, interesting. To, to the practice, but it's going to change it. it it's going to, it has to change it. And where it's going to ultimately hurt is you have all these central Florida companies, right? Families, developers, all this. And so if, is there going to be a, a talent gap now that we're going to see in our community and a lot of other communities across this country that are a little smaller on the metropolitan scale, you know, that, that I think may struggle with a talent gap as we all get older who's then going to be primary contact? I I, I don't know. You know, it's something we're going to have to try to figure out. So (laughs) not Amanda, Amanda putting her finger on her nose. No, Bill and I play this game. He taught me when I first started, which if you don't want something to be your responsibility, you, 
put your finger on your nose. It's called nose goes. Yeah, nose goes. I do that all the time. Nose goes. <laughs> and so now if Bill's sitting around the table and he says we, I immediately go to my nose because when I'm at a table with Bill, we is me. And then I'll go play with my admin team. And when I say we, it means one of them. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, if Bill ever says we should, I know. I know which way it's coming, which is fine. It's called oh, jobs. Wow. Don't you know what nose goes, that game? You, you know that game, right? Absolutely. I do it all the time <laughs> with my wife. With kids, <laughs> nose goes, so. Right. Rob, you I have twins, so you probably do that. The first time nose goes, she's like, what are you doing? Like, I was yeah. like, what are you going to make something on your Nope, not me. <laughs> yeah. Not me. So Amanda, has that, you know, from your perspective and hiring staff, have you had struggles because of the, you know, work from anywhere policies that some other firms offer? Yeah, I think so. And it's something we are continuing to talk about every day. I mean, every time we get together, it's what is the best makeup for us? If you have certain attorneys who want to work in the office and certain ones who don't, how do you have a fairness to staff where if they work for attorneys who are remote, but they have a backup they're the backup for somebody who needs that person in the office. Where is that the best mix for that? Resources, you know, are we we don't provide laptops to staff, but if we they want to go back and forth, now we're providing laptops. And then how does it all affect into space? How much mm-hmm. physical space do we need? You know, I think that's a question a lot of law firms are asking, and we are just kind of continuing to play with that because there's a little bit, and look, I love lawyers. I've been working with them and I have my degrees on the wall, but there is a little bit of that. We want to be in a space where the degrees are on the wall. And that's kind of bumping up against this ho- concept of hoteling where you don't know where you're going to be sitting when you come into the office. And at how many days, I've even thought things like, how many days a week do they have to be here in order to keep a physical office or even a parking spot. Like if you're not coming to the office at least two days a week, you don't get a parking spot. Parking is expensive and it's a limited resource. So we're trying to think through even those little nuances and, and how you draw the line. And I think we talk about it every day and I don't think I have a solution yet, unfortunately. Along those lines, one of the last topics I'd, I'd like to, to touch on is culture. Bill, you've mentioned it a few times. Amanda, I've heard you talk about it in the past and you talked about it just a bit just now. How have you guys formed your core values? What what did that process look like and how did you decide on those? The culture is a little different than core values. I mean, core values okay. is something the three of us did with, with our marketing person day one. Well, actually, we did those before we started the firm. Uh, we mm-hmm. spent time on those so that they were there day, day one. Uh, the culture is a 20-year process, right? And I think the, the culture is something... The, the core values also talks about our relationship with our community, with our clients, you know, how we're going to provide legal services. I think the culture is a little bit unique to our firm because it's embedded in the way we provide legal services too. So if we're a full service firm to these companies out there, right, they, they may have real estate issues, they may have litigation issues. And so it requires our whole firm working together. So all our departments work with other departments. You know, we cross market. We have lawyers from other lawyers, lawyers working with staff from other sections. And so that's one of our biggest challenges and our biggest weaknesses. It's one of our biggest strengths and our biggest weaknesses. Mm -hmm. It's a strength because it it leads to our culture, which is what we all want to work together, open doors, support each other, help each other out. Um, It makes the law practice a little more fun because you just, you know, you have you know, so many interesting matters and cases and we're all helping each other out. We get to know each other better. 
it's also our, one of our biggest challenges because you're talking a lot of data and information crossing over a lot of people on a daily basis because we're, even though we have departments, we, we work so much together. So the way we do that inherently creates a lot of conversation between a lot of people and a lot better relationships, you know, and plus we do all the other things that we want to do as a, as a law firm, you know, creating opportunities for everybody to get together and, you know, get to know each other and all those good things. So uh, we, we try to, we try to stay away from being so departmentalized or like most firms, a partner hires a lawyer as an right. associate and then, then a parent as a legal assistant. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I've wanted to stay away from that because I think that that embedded structure is one of the somewhat of the problems of the entire legal profession, right? Because it 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 says, okay, that associate's just working with one partner, they just learn from that one partner, right? And so in that legal associate's comp is charged to that one partner. They don't want to hire that associate, you know, right away because they don't want to pay for the associate. And their whole compensation is structured on how much revenue they bring in, right? Their hours not great. So I've tried to, we try to stay away from that as a firm. Now that's somewhat in, in all law firms, but um, it doesn't lead to everybody helping each other out. So it doesn't give opportunities for associates to learn to work with more than one attorney. If they are low on work and the partner's low on work, they are low on work and you can't just go to another partner and get more work. And I think it does stunt that growth a little bit. And you're right, like the price, the tying the price to the associate working for the firm is can make more sense than working for the individual partner, for sure. Hiring a lawyer is a company expense. It's not a John Doe expense, right? It, it shouldn't right. be charged to the person they're working for. It's a company expense. That's how every other company in the entire country operates except for law firms, right? <laughs> Accounting firms and all that, they're, they're company expenses. And here you have law firms that do it differently, which I don't understand. Oh, believe me. We talk about the way law firms operate all the time. We're recording oh. this at the end of the quarter and we're just waiting for all those great partner votes to occur <laughs> uh, so we can get deals done. The way you do it, Rob, as Bill explained, is you form a law firm without a lot of committees. And that, <laughs> yes. But we joke about that, but it reduces the friction in decision making. And it's a joke that the fewer people there are with a vote, the easier it is to decide. But it really does reduce some of the friction if you can concentrate the decision making at a higher level, either a executive committee or something like that, where you don't have 20 people who need. Now, when we purchased right. something like software, we used a task force is what I call them, where you have buy-in from a lot of different departments and different positions. But then once they've gone together to finish that project or that project team, then they give their decision to a executive committee or management committee, and then they go from there, right? And so sometimes that structure can lead to better business decisions because you don't have to mm-hmm. spend so much billable time with everybody sitting around talking about, you know, I like that feature versus I like that feature versus I like that feature. Yeah. Makes Please sense. <laughs> we have an old printer, go buy a new printer. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know we bought a printer. <laughs> <laughs> When I first started, like our first week, I came in and I was like, Bill, here's how we can save a lot of money on CLE. And he said, if you ever bring a decision like this to me again, you will be fired. Like if you, if we can save money on CLE, just go do it. It was that and it was the Wi-Fi network. Oh, the Wi-Fi. We can upgrade the Wi-Fi network for $1,800 for everybody will stop complaining. 
okay, so what, what, just go do it. You know? <laughs> but there are firms who would want a full memo on that and want to examine it. And, and um, we don't necessarily have all the secret sauce, but it sure makes my job a lot easier. That's for sure. <laughs> if, you're trying, um, if you ask us how to, to best deliver a Thanksgiving bonus, well, we'll spend a lot of time trying to figure out, is it cash? Is it uh, gift, gift cards? Card. Is it check? Is it Bitcoin? Is it Gilders? <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be, but we got to figure out. I'm kidding a little bit, but, but you know, that stuff's also important to us, right? You know, making sure we do those little things to help help all of our staff. So. It's an interesting relationship, Rob, to learn. And I think the, the relationship between the executive director, COO, and the managing mm-hmm. partner takes time to build. You can't get that trust on day one. It, it takes time. And you also have to learn what decisions can they make without buy-in? What decisions can you make? Do you need buy-in? And some of it is, I will think, oh, there's no way he cares about this. And they care very, very deeply about it. Or there are other things where I, like I said, I bring it to them at the mandate, we don't care about this. So you only learn that over time. It's not an over the night, overnight process. You know, you have to- It takes to- a good year, you know, just like you tell young lawyer, it takes a couple of years to learn your craft. It takes a while to- not only understand that, Amanda, but also understand, and then decisions you're making, what would they do if they had to make that decision right. too? I can tell you it takes at least three years, 10 months, and five days to do uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That, you know what, Amanda? That's the day I got my first gray hair too. I believe years. it. Oh. Like, we're completely oh. before I started. Look, do you know how many gray hair I have working from you? It's it's uh, actually what happens is all the hair that hasn't fallen out is now turning gray. So, but it is it is what it is. Bill, I have not. I didn't prep you for this, but our last segment of our show is called Pitch Your Passion. And it's a chance to talk about something that you are passionate about. And you're involved in a lot of different organizations. And so I don't, you know, you don't have to choose one or the other, but give us a couple of minutes and tell us something that you are very passionate about. So my kids, I'm an empty nester. My son just started law school. My daughter is he at, at Miami. No, I just want to Miami check. in his first year, and he has some of the same professors I had, which is insane. Wow, who looked old? They looked old when I was there, and so they're still teaching. So, and my daughter's in industrial engineering at UF, and she just got an internship today from Norfolk Roman, so she's pretty excited about that. Oh, so, congrats! Um, and you know they're both doing great, and so it, it's it's funny you brought that up. Susie and I started our own foundation. We've been uh, trying to build up our own charity, and we've been spending more time trying to figure out, like we just, we just started the process of starting a fund at our church school because the music program was so helpful to our kids. Like it just taught them Mm -hmm. a lot, that discipline and all that, and just their love of music and all that. I, I, I relate back to when they were a child and stuff. So we're, we're trying to figure that out. You know, we, we started setting aside money to do those things. So that, that's going to be an interesting next chapter. I've always been very involved in just things to help kids. Like I was very involved with junior achievement for a long time. I'm still on their board, you know, and that's, you know, that's kind of helping kids with business and free enterprise system. Uh, you know, this was an opportunity to help, you know, we're talking about kids in, in, in music. We've done adopted scholarship programs at, at our school, our kids' school and things. So that, that's kind of a to be continued, to be determined, uh, yeah. you know, thing on, on our next passion kind of in this, like, uh, we've started, we've done all those things, but before with kids, 
you do a lot of things and you're kind of thin, right? You're not very deep. And right. so now it's okay. Now that we're empty nesters, what's the next challenge? What do we want to do? And so I don't know that I have an answer there about, about passion on the charitable side. Outside of charity, it's, it's probably being on a boat. So uh, I love that <laughs> escape. And the best thing is when I go so far out that I, my, I lose contact. Yeah, yeah. It's the best thing for us too, by the way. <laughs> There's a firm white email that goes around. Bill's out of contact today. Everybody go home. <laughs> Once I get to 14 miles offshore, maybe it's 11, 12 miles offshore. See you later. Yeah. See you later. That's right. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we've enjoyed it and had a lot of fun. Thanks, Mr. Lumen. All right. Thank you. See you soon, Randall. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on MostlyLegalPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag. Mostly Legal Podcast.